It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. In 2018, when you were sitting right there in that chair, you came on here and you predicted that the Democrats were going to pick up seats in the Congress on a large scale. They did. They picked up 40 seats in, in the House, a real wave. What is your prediction for the election that's a little bit more than a month away? Madam Speaker, you have the floor. Okay, thank you very much. Well, I'm so glad you asked that question because I believe that we will win the ha hold the ha House. And we will hold the House by winning more seats. Uh, we won the 40 seats. Then we lost some when Trump was on the ballot. We lost some in the Trump districts. Uh, but we held, in, held enough seats to hold the House with him on the ballot. He's not on the ballot now. Oh, did I say his name? I didn't mean to. <laughs> we'll have the videotapes fumigated. You, perhaps you could yeah. leap that no out. Worries, okay. No worries. <laughs> because it is a family show. <laughs> But what gives you the confidence to do that? Because all the prognosticators, certainly six months ago, they said it was going to be this crazy red wave. Mm -hmm. Now it looks likely that the Democrats will hold the Senate, but there is still a slight favor for the Republicans to take the House. Well, okay. So, you ready? Always. Okay. Here's the thing. When we won in 2020, and again, fewer seats, but still holding the House, we started right away to prepare for the next election in terms of organization, mm -hmm. own the ground. When you mobilize, you must own the ground to take out the vote. You have to do that with inspiration and how we put together our messaging. And that's the second M. And the third is money. So we're getting ready for the election. That was in December of 2020. In January 6th, you know what happened, an ins uh, insurrection incited by the President of the United States on the U.S. Capitol, on our Constitution, on our democracy. The greatest influx of candidates came forward. Young people, people of color, people of different generations, different backgrounds, and the rest, the beautiful diversity of America came forward. They didn't pay attention to those pundits who said you can't win. They went in with courage and confidence that they could win. So that was Nancy Pelosi with uh, Stephen Colbert last night. Uh, they're going to win. They're going to win. They're going to pick up seats in the House. They're going to win. She's pretty confident, and she actually contradicts my theory. I think I said this yesterday, that the Democrats don't seem so confident, or they are, if they were so confident, why would they be moving heaven and earth to win if they thought they had it in the bag? But maybe they do have it in the bag because, as she said, they've been working since uh, the 2020 election. That's how they do. Uh, the left plans, uh, they're planners, they're long-term planners. They call their, their uh, the way they're going to take over countries, and especially in this one, the long march through the institutions. It takes a while. We've got a long vision. 
And when they said long march through the institutions, they meant taking over the professional organizations of, you know, attorneys, the American Bar Association, the American Medical Association, uh, the retirement, um, AARP. They, and they've done it. They have. They have taken over the leadership uh, and infiltrated the boards of just about every entity. I, I know there's some exceptions. Thank God there are exceptions. But it's been the long march through the institutions, and that includes the church, by the way. So, yes, they plan, and they, they've got this planned. They have it all worked out. Now, whether they'll succeed or not, I don't know. I, I, Rick Scott said again in an interview that the Republicans are going to secure at least 52 Senate seats. Uh, he declared that just, uh, I'll meet the, I guess, meet the press on Sunday. So uh, the two seats that he's talking about, because right now it's 50 to 49, and there are two, I think, two independents caucusing with the Republicans with the Democrats in the Senate. That's why they hold the power, because they really are Democrats. Bernie Sanders is not exactly, you know, I don't know. Maybe he is independent. He's an independent communist. So uh, in the Pennsylvania Senate race, Mehmet Oz has pulled into a statistical tie with the Democratic nom- nominee, Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. Fetterman continues to be just unable, just unable to talk. He had a stroke. Um, he hasn't recovered. And of course, his past for those of us that are conservative and we believe in the Constitution, he's a nightmare. Uh, but I guess some of the people of Pennsylvania love him. But right now, health-wise, he just is absolutely incoherent. And even though Mehmet Oz is not, you know, certainly the favorite of conservatives, um, he's going to be much better on most of the issues than uh, John Fetterman. He just is. And so that is a race where I guess I think uh, Scott is predicting that we might we uh, conservatives might pick up in uh, Arizona and New Hampshire. The Senate candidates, Republicans, are trailing the Democratic opponents. Let me point out that in Arizona, you know, there's uh, Blake Masters, and Blake doesn't have funding. Uh, President uh, Mitch McConnell has withheld the millions and millions of dollars he has. Uh, in election funds, declaring that they're going to lose the Senate, and so he's not going to help them. But we know the real reason is that Blake Masters was endorsed by President Trump. That's how petty, rather lose the country uh, than than concede or have someone in the Senate that might oppose him. That's that's exactly what's ha- happening. And then in, in New Hampshire, New Hampshire, same thing. Uh, the incumbent is Maggie Hassan or Hassan. Not sure how to. I'm not sure. Uh, and she has uh, her opponent is Don Bolduc. Now Don is the one that the one of the ones that the Democrats spent a ton of money on uh, providing that he win because he was the most conservative and they thought he would lose in the general. So right now he is uh, Maggie Hassan is eight point four percentage points over him in New Hampshire. And now in Arizona, uh, right now I mentioned Blake Masters, but here's the the spread. It's Mark Kelly. In Arizona, the Democrat, who Mark is a leftist, you know, he, he, he leads, you know, the charge as a, a former astronaut. You know, you think he's conservative, but he's not. He's not. He's for taking away your guns. Uh, he's, he's silent on the border. Mark Kelly's really bad. He votes with the left of the left all the time. But, you know, he's got money, so he's running ads over and over again, and Blake Masters has none. So Mark Kelly is uh, being beat by 6.8 percentage points in Arizona because Mitch McConnell won't help. So then uh, the two the two states, now, now I correct myself, the two states that Tim Scott 
that Rick Scott, sorry, correct myself again, that Rick Scott is uh, saying that he thinks the Republicans will take are the seats in Nevada. That's Adam Laxalt. Adam is ahead of his opponent. And in Georgia, Herschel Walker. So, um, so who knows? I mean, but now let me tell you what's happening in Georgia. Because, um, hang on a second, where are my notes here? Um, in Georgia, Herschel Walker has moved uh, slightly ahead of Raphael Warnock. Warnock. And, you know, Herschel's not articulate. He just isn't. Uh, sometimes, let me explain something if I can. When you're in politics, or if you're a used car sale, salesman, uh, being able to talk, talk good, just do a good talk, just get, give a good game, lots of words, convincing presence, that's uh, premier quality. And sometimes people in D.C. and in politics forget that there's a whole lot more to being an effective uh, person uh, or, or a good representative of your people than fancy words. Because I've had my fill of fancy words in my lifetime in D.C. and other places, people who can talk, people who talk. Man, they talk, talk, talk. And they've got the words, they got the vocabulary, but they don't have the principle. And I've seen, I'll tell you, like, um, this may be an odd comparison, but in Chicago, Mayor Daley was, I'm talking about Mayor Daley II, who was the mayor when we when we were there, uh, he, he couldn't put two sentences together. He, he never made sense. It's like, uh, he, he couldn't talk. But Mayor Daley was brilliant. He was brilliant. And for all of his bad politics, he was a great leader for Chicago. He held all the factions together. But he couldn't talk. Uh, but Herschel Walker, I think, is the same thing. Herschel, when he talks, he's inexact. He sounds country because he is country. He's just a good old boy who was an incredible football player who made it to the ranks and is so loved in Georgia. But that, that is not, you think it's linked to intellect, but I don't think so. I think a lot of people just can't talk. I found a lot of writers, people who write eloquently, powerfully, often make terrible interviews. So don't confuse the ability to communicate. It's a powerful, it's very important. It's a skill that I wish everyone running for public office had, but do not discount people because of that. Just don't. Um, so now, Herschel, I heard this from one of the listeners, Kathy, wrote and said, my husband and I went to a Walker rally today, um, and uh, he said, she said, I'm listening to the rally right now. Herschel gave a great speech. My favorite line is, he said, my pronoun is fed up. <laughs> And I agree with him. Uh, so thanks, Kathy, for that and for your other words. I appreciate that. Um, now, this is what they're doing with Herschel because, you know, the left always does this. Now, you have to know this. And this is especially a message for those of you Christians uh, who, as I am, who value moral values. And it's very important to you. And it is very important to me, too. But what happens in these elections almost always is there'll be a moral charge against a conservative candidate. And sometimes it's true, and sometimes it isn't. Like in the case of uh, uh, Justice Moore down in Alabama. But we don't know. And so now, uh, in these last few days, a uh, few weeks before the election, there's been a charge against Herschel Walker that he paid for a girlfriend's abortion. Uh, Herschel's saying it's absolutely not true, and he's actually going to sue uh, what outlet was it? Daily Beast. He said he's going to file a lawsuit against Daily Beast for claiming that. And then his son, who uh, is Christian Walker, and you may have heard about his son, uh, 
It's odd because he says he likes men, but he's not gay. So I, I can't fill in the blank on that. But he's very flamboyant, uh, and he's very out there. So he unleashed on Herschel and said, how dare you lie, and a series of damaging tweets about his father. And um, I would read them to you, but you can read them for yourself. They're, they sound terrible if they're true. Herschel Walker's response to his son after this terrible stuff that his son says is, I love my son no matter what. That's what Herschel Walker tweeted in response. And this is my advice to those of you in Georgia. You don't know if this is true or not. And more often than not, this is the way that the Nancy Pelosi's of this world scheme to destroy. They scheme to destroy good people by doing this. Sometimes there's some truth to it. It could be, you, you never know what the circumstances are, but you have to look at the big picture here. You have to look at who Herschel Walker is now, what he stands for, what he says. And look, he wouldn't be so loved by Georgians if he didn't have a long track record of some kind of integrity. So you have to look at the candidates. If you were to you know, look at Raphael Warnock's history, what, is he perfectly moral person? Is that the basis? Is, if this is true, if this is true, and if it's true, it's bad. But if it's true, does it completely disqualify so you rather have Raphael Warnock elected in Georgia? You have to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And so I'm just telling you, and this is going to happen to all any candidate who's watched for something for Carrie Lake in Arizona because she's ahead in the governor's race. They'll come after her with something. There will be an accusation. This is how it works. And they usually bring it out right before you go into the polls so you don't have time to refute it. With Herschel, he's got a couple of weeks here. Now they've got his son coming out. This is from Doyle uh, from North Carolina. He said, our Christian values are at stake. If conservatives don't win big in November, I think getting Christians to the polls is the key. Many church people, going people, do not feel religion and politics should share the same pew. Please remind them that God does not want us to stand around with shovels praying for a hole. We must pray, yes, but also do our part to move mountains and change the course of history. We must demonstrate to God that we have the will I thought that was good, Doyle, and I thank you for sending that. And look, uh, let me just say, if you were in a boat and you were drowning and someone was going to rescue you, would you worry about some moral charge in their past? You have to think big. You cannot be petty in this election. And so, all right, I have so much more to tell you. Oh, I always do. So stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning, AFR Talk. If you are 65 or older, you know this. It's really frustrating to deal with out-of-pocket medical expenses, watching your hard-earned dollars just flying out the window. Well, here's something that can really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MediShare has a new option called MediShare 65+. Plus. MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's healthcare bills, and it really is a community. People encourage and pray for each other. And MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B that fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. It's great for peace of mind. And you can use your Medicare-approved doctor and get prescription savings, dental and vision savings. Very worth looking into, and it's so easy to find out why people rave about the customer service at MediShare. They're great to talk to on the phone. Here's the number. Call 833-45-BIBLE. That's 833-45-BIBLE. 833-45-BIBLE. 
The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. The credit card debt happened when my daughter was born. I was using one credit card account to roll over into another credit card account, and it was snowballing. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. When I first called Trinity, the representative understood the need based on the situation. They were great people to work with. From the first phone call that I made, they had me on a track to mitigate the credit card debt. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. Working with Trinity gave me the ability to save thousands of dollars. My name's Doug, and thanks to Trinity, I'm debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. In 2019, five students were shot and two were killed at Saugus High School in Santa Clarita, California. A first responder who was at the school to pick up his child literally saved countless lives. Since then, the high school football team has included a thin blue line flag during pregame festivities, a way of honoring the police officers who responded on that day. But school leaders have ordered students to end the tradition. It seems someone was offended by the football players running onto the field with that flag. They say it was disrespectful to Black Lives Matter, and others thought it was a symbol of white supremacy. Parents say anyone who thinks the flag is divisive is ignorant. And it's a slap in the face to not only every police officer, but also to their kids. I say, defy the school and fly that flag, kids. It's the right thing to do. It's the American thing to do. I'm Todd Stearns. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. To the greatest humiliation our country has ever seen. I believe that was the most humiliating point in time in the history of our country. And now we have a war between Russia and Ukraine with potentially hundreds of thousands of people dying. That would never have happened. That war would never, ever have happened if I were president. And it didn't happen. For four years plus a long campaign, it didn't happen. Would have never happened with Putin. Never, never, ever. All right, that was President Trump in Michigan over the weekend. Um, and I do want to talk about this uh, pipeline being blown up, and I want to talk about the war with Russia and Ukraine, at least briefly. I do have a side on this. I don't think any of us know for sure what's happening there, but I have a hunch. I have a, uh, my instincts tell me. Uh, so, uh, and sources, I'm not, you know, not, not, I'm not holding my finger to the wind. I'm actually reading information and basically reading that. Uh, my take on it is the same as it has been, and that is that Ukraine is a proxy war for the Biden administration. The Biden administration has made tons of money using Ukraine as their cash callus, like a laundering—okay, I'm just saying. 
It's like a, a money laundering machine. And they keep giving aid to Ukraine. Where do you think that aid's going? Where Do you see them lining up masses of tanks? And where is that all that money going? Where is that money going? I'm just asking. Where is it going? Uh, is it creating uh, propaganda videos? Because they're putting out a lot of those. And that doesn't mean that the president, the current president, or that the Ukrainian people don't deserve our sympathy. Uh, the president, I think, is probably not the person you think he is. Um, and sadly, the we saw you know some great production pieces about who he was, and I I was really moved too, initially. But I think something really really sinister is going on here. And um, it's my understanding that there would have been peace between Russia and Ukraine. I think back in the spring, uh, there was an agreement that if uh, if Ukraine would not try to get into NATO, then Russia would withdraw. Uh, but uh, but now they're going full steam ahead, and Ukraine is announcing that you know they announced what a couple of days ago that they were going to uh, uh, they wanted to appeal to be in NATO. That's a huge issue for Russia. Russia doesn't want that to happen, and so then. Uh, we morphed to to the pipeline explosion, the Baltic pipeline, actually Nord Stream pipeline. We talked about it briefly a couple of days ago, I think. I'm sorry, I can't remember. I, I was planning on talking to you in detail yesterday, but I, I so it's in my head, but I might not have said much about it. Uh, those pipelines, uh, the two of them, were blown up by something. I did think I said this, and I... I, I uh, Tucker Carlson has some great commentary on this. Tucker uh, makes the point, and I think he's right, and I want to give him credit for this because he, he makes the he just asks the question, why would Russia blow up their own pipeline? This is the, I think it's like 60% or 40% of their uh, their income as a country. Why would they do that? And also because they have Europe, uh, you know, they have Europe, in, uh, they hold the power over Europe. Because of this pipeline, uh, you know, putting in much needed oil reserves, so why would they do that? And so now we see that there are uh, other interests that may be involved in that. I've talked about, uh, you know, environmental interests because whoever that might be, because we know that the the Great Reset and all those people involved in it uh, have great plans for us and. They don't want you to drive gasoline-powered cars. They want to do away, eliminate fossil fuels because they don't care. They don't want you to drive even an electric car. That's just, I'm uh, telling you, that's just a, that's just a, what, what do you call it, bell whistle. It's a, it's a distraction. It's kind of make you get excited about something. But it's a, the ultimate use of electric cars depends on fossil fuel. It can't, they can't operate without uh, power behind the power. And they can't operate anything like gasoline-powered uh, cars, and you know that, even if they ever can. Uh, we've got many years before we transition to that, but they don't want to wait those years. They want you to be unable uh, to get around, uh, which takes me on a sidebar, but I just have to tell you this story. I, um, I love watching documentaries, and so we watched one on Amazon about um, the first man who drove cross-country in the United States. It was a doctor. Um, he, I'm sorry, the, up top of my head, so I wasn't prepared to tell you the story, so I can't tell you his name. But um, he drove from San Francisco to New York, and it was over a bet uh, that uh, in, in a gentleman's club that you no one would ever be able to do that. And so he just took the existing car that he had, you know, cars, this is like, oh, I think 19, early 1900s. Um, and he, uh, well, I'm not going to tell you what happens. 
But let me just tell you that in the course of watching that, which was fascinating because they had so many photos of what the United States looked like, there were no highways, you know, very many, not much civilization back then. It was amazing. And they're driving these, you know, old cars with these hard tires. Uh, so it's pretty interesting. But the point that this documentary made was that it was the car then, and later the Model T developed by Henry Ford that and his passion to make it available to the common man, affordable to regular people. And the documentary explores how people who were once confined to their homes in rural settings, more than the, the few miles that they could walk or ride a horse or maybe a bicycle, uh, suddenly had freedom of movement. Suddenly, they were going to cities and shopping. Suddenly, they were taking vacations. They were driving on Sundays. Uh, they were getting outside of the country and just out the countryside and looking outside of their five-mile radius of where they lived. It revolutionized American culture, and that's the root of why we love cars. Cars were the key to individual freedom. And so this is what they want to destroy. We They want to put us back in a time when you can't, your house, as far as you can walk or ride a bike or a horse, if you're lucky enough to get a horse these days, that's how far you can go and no further. And so um, I just can't make, I can't emphasize that enough. I, I want to tell you why this Nord Stream pipeline disaster and um, Ukraine and Russia, the, the potential war, uh, that there, it seems like some people want. Uh, why it's so it, it, disastrous for us, and why I'm talking about it? Because there are a lot of things to talk about, right? Well, this let me point this out. The, there was a letter to uh, Tuesday. This is Tuesday. Well, it says uh, it must be today. Uh, a coalition of six experts urged congressional Republican leaders, and that's Senate minor, uh, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy to consider how green policies have contributed to the energy crisis in Europe. And then they added that the crisis proves that U.S. lawmakers need to bolster, not compromise, energy security. I'll read a few lines from this. The actual environmental benefits of green energy are few and far between, if there are any at all. Yet its economic and national security impact is immeasurably negative. Compromising American energy security for the sake of climate alarmism is more than a misstep. It's a catastrophic error. Just look at Europe. Defending our nation's energy economy and independence must be a priority. Europe's energy crisis sits as, as a clear and present warning of what may lie ahead if we continue down this road. Let us not follow them blindly into the same disaster. And But what's happening in Europe is they have uh, pursued, because they're part of Europe, because they're more further to the left than most of our leaders, they've been very aggressive in transitioning to green energy sources like wind and solar, and they can't, it, it won't work, it does not work. There isn't enough wind and solar to keep places cool and warm. When there's no sun and there's no wind, you get cold or you get hot. And so they have to turn to regular sources of energy, and that's what's been happening to them. And they don't have any way of supplying their own energy, and that's why they're dependent on the Russians. And that's why the blowing up of those pipelines is so disastrous for them. What are they going to do? How are they going to heat their homes this winter? And it is a huge issue. Uh, and continuing, this is... Uh, James Taylor, who is the president of the think tank Heartland, I should interview him. I've, Heartland, I've known, I go back way back with them, and I haven't talked to them in years. But he says, um, here we have in the United States, we're being told by the environmental left, by the administration, that we should choose the same path 
that we should be focusing on renewable energy. That's a terrible path. In Europe, you see electricity prices that are approximately double what they are here in the United States. And that's because of the choices that Europe has made for renewable energy and relying on a hostile nation. We're setting ourselves up for the same thing, which is a terrible idea. So um, I I could go on, but I think I'm uh, belaboring this too much. I just want you to know that this is a terrible crisis. At the same time that that pipeline was blown up, and people are speculating, well, who did that? Well, of course, Biden, I played these clips for you last week. I'm not going to repeat, but Biden had said last, I believe, last January, I think it was, uh, that if Russia continued their activities in Ukraine, we would the Nord Stream pipeline would no longer exist. There was a follow-up question, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm just saying. It's just, uh, and Victoria Norland, Norland uh, repeated the same thing. And of course, as they, they uh, this whole uh, hatred of Putin, uh, not that he's a champion, don't get me wrong, Putin is not like a hero. He's a former communist, he's a really bad dude. But you have to pick your bad dudes, okay? So the my best sources tell me that the reason Europe hates Putin so much and the reason the people behind President Biden hate him so much is that he will not cooperate with this great reset. And that's one that he won't, he just will not play well with others. And uh, they want to force him, they want to force him out. So then there's this big push to blame Putin for blowing up his own pipelines. And uh, we'll just uh, give you an example. This was Joe Biden. This is clip six. You also asked me uh, earlier about the pipeline, and let me say this. It was a a deliberate act of sabotage, and now the Russians are pumping out disinformation and lies. And at the appropriate moment when things calm down, we're going to be sending divers down to find out exactly what happened. We don't know that yet exactly, but we're not just don't listen to what Putin is saying. What he's saying we know is not true. Yes, well, okay, so it's not because it's not us. Although he publicly said a few months ago that if Russia didn't stop their aggression, there would be no more Nord Stream pipeline. What did he mean by that? I wonder. I wonder. Okay, so uh, I don't know if they, I don't know if uh, uh, Joe Biden is responsible or we're responsible. We don't know that, but it is very suspicious. And Anthony Blinken actually made a comment. Yesterday, that's pretty telling. I, initially, they said he said it was puzzling. He didn't know why that had happened. It's uh, who who did it? We just don't know. But now he feels differently about it. This uh, clip seven from today. I think first it's important to make clear that uh, these pipelines, that is Nord Stream one and Nord Stream two, uh, were not uh, pumping gas into Europe uh, at this time. Nord Stream two never became operational, as is well known. Nord Stream one has been shut down for weeks. Uh, because of Russia's weaponization of energy. Look, there's a lot of hard work to do to to make sure that um, countries and partners get through the winter. Europe itself has taken very significant steps to both um, decrease demand, uh, but also look at ways to um, uh, pursue the transition to renewables at the same time. And ultimately, um, this is also a tremendous opportunity. It's a tremendous opportunity to once and for all remove the dependence on Russian energy and thus to take away from uh, Vladimir Putin the weaponization of energy as a means of advancing uh, his uh, imperial designs. Uh, that's okay, very that's significant. Enough. That's enough. Uh, okay, that so this all. is a great, an incredible opportunity. It's just a great, now that I think about it, this is really great stuff. Uh, Europe is going to be uh, just desperate this winter. But it's a great opportunity for us, you know, to do away with fossil fuels and also 
you know, to cut off Putin because he must be destroyed and replaced. That's what they keep saying. Uh, U.S. Army Colonel Douglas McGregor has been really spoken about this. And he basically says the same thing that I just said. Would the Russians destroy their own pipeline? And he gives the number. 40% of Russian gross national product uh, consists of foreign currency that comes into the country to purchase natural gas, oil, coal, and so forth. The Russians did not do this. It's absurd. And um, the Polish MP, Sikorsky, they're they're all about this. They hate Putin. They want to take him out. They disagree with some of the... um, uh, former Eastern Bloc countries, Poland is the one that really has uh, an axe to grind against uh, Russia, and I understand that. And so they are, they're all in to support Ukraine, and some of the other countries are not like that. They don't share that. I don't think um, Hungary shares their passion to do that, but Poland's on the front lines. And when this happened, the, the pipelines were blown up. The Polish um, minister said, thank you, USA. Thank you, USA. And then he re- he's redrawn, he's taken it off of Twitter. But that's what he said initially. So um, McGregor goes on to explain, and I don't, I, I'm going to get in the weeds here, but basically Berlin, meaning Germany, was getting ready to withdraw their support of the Ukrainian war. And McGregor thinks that this sabotage, whoever is responsible, was to get Berlin back in, in uh, order because Berlin now has no choice but to continue because they have no other source of energy. And uh, so once they cut off the oil from Putin, then they the notion, I guess, is that Berlin will keep playing the game with Ukraine and uh, p- participating you know, by funding the cash cow and keeping this going and also putting the world in danger because they're backing Putin in a corner and he know, you know he has nuclear weapons. Um, and they're giving him really uh, no choice. Now, look, I, I'm, again, don't misunderstand me. I don't think he's a good guy. I don't think he should have invaded Ukraine. Uh, he's done a lot of uh, things he should not do. Through the years, he's done a lot of bad things. He's a he's like a, a roaring lion, you know. He's pretty dangerous. Uh, and then also, and Joe brought this to my attention, and Joe, I actually already did know this. Joe was telling me that uh, there's a Norway-Poland EU pipeline that opened the same day. That Russian line was sabotaged, and I meant to tell you about this yesterday. It's uh, Poland, Norway, and Denmark have attended a ceremony to mark the opening of the new Baltic pipeline, and that just happens to happen on the end of the sabotage. So did the Polish do this? Did uh, Norway do this? Did the Americans do this? I don't know. Uh, When we come back, uh, I'm not sure which direction. I have so much to tell you, so just give me three minutes here. And I'll figure out what we're going to talk about, but it will be to your benefit, I pray. Uh, Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. What does the American Family Association stand for? We believe that our ministry, as well as everything in the heavens and on earth, belongs to God, and our role is that of a trusted manager. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us. So Hannah, she's just one of the women who did struggle with infertility in the Bible. Hannah's Heart with Ann Cockrell and Kendra White. Hannah took her pain to God and God heard her and was with her. Hannah's Heart helps couples process infertility and miscarriage through a biblical lens. 
Join us Saturday afternoon at 5 Central on American Family Radio. Find the podcast at AFR.net. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. As Paul was incarcerated, facing imminent execution by Nero, he told Timothy perilous times were coming. Evil men and seducers would wax worse and worse. But he instructed Timothy to continue in what he knew to be true. Then he emphatically stated, preach the word. As darkness mounts and wickedness increases, you and I must continue to cling to God's holy word and yield to the lordship of Holy Spirit in our personal lives. And we must absolutely continue to preach the word. We have our orders. Let's magnify the king. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that's MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save the typical family 500 bucks a month, and that's huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century, and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. A very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Team Biden reportedly is poised to have $7 billion in frozen Iranian funds released in exchange for the freeing of two Americans the mullahs have held hostage for years. This astounding ransom is just the latest indication of the exorbitant price the administration is paying for another deal that will not prevent Tehran from getting the bomb. Unfortunately, President Biden has also been rewarding other hostile governments in Russia, Venezuela, and Afghanistan for seizing U.S. citizens. In each case, these regimes got back dangerous individuals convicted of serious crimes in the United States. While one sympathizes with the American victims of such hostage-taking, the trouble with paying either financial or human ransoms is that it incentivizes the world's bad actors to regard every one of us as potential leverage to extract U.S. concessions. Do you like having a target on your back? This is Frank Gaffney. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Right now, the Biden administration is suing the state of Arizona to prevent them from checking citizenship status before registering people to vote. Now, why? Would they want to do that and if you point out the obviously because they want to dump a bunch of illegal registrations into the voter registration database they'll call you a conspiracy theorist and then my opponent likes to claim that she's against voter id okay michigan 
She claims that she's against voter ID because a lot of people have a hard time getting an ID. I have a million dollar question for you. Whose job is it to make sure people have an ID? <laughs> the job of the Secretary of State to ensure people have an ID. So if there's lots of people across the state without an ID, it sounds like she's failing at her job and needs to be removed from office. Kind of obvious. She goes on to say a bunch of great things. She was at that rally in Michigan. Uh, she's knocking it out of the ballpark. She's running for Secretary of State. And uh, Michigan, by the way, the polls up there, it looks like Let's see. Uh, uh, Tudor Dixon is the Republican challenger to Gretchen Whitmer. And uh, the Trafalgar Group came out with a poll on Friday that says that Whitmer now is leading by just six points. Now, keep in mind how miraculous that is because Tudor Dixon doesn't have any support, any finances. The support she has is from the grassroots constitutional lovers of God, lovers of, the, <laughs> of, of this country, people. That's who's supporting her. And they don't have money. They don't have money to run these ads. What you, Gretchen Whitmer has millions of dollars. And so the fact that uh, Whitmer is only leading by six points, given that inequity, uh, is amazing. And so I just wanted to tell you that. Um, okay, so uh, this is what I'd like to do because I've gotten a lot. Of, I've gotten a lot of email from you lately, and we haven't been able to do that much. And so uh, I want to go to some of that. I want to since we were talking about Russia, this is from Kim. And I love this. I, I'm so glad you sent this, Kim. She said, we have a young man and his family. Oh, wait, let me, pre, let me set this up a little bit better. Look, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for Russia because of my time there, not for the government or for communism. <laughs> the people, the people of every country I've ever visited have been lovely. I mean, some are bad, but there's a, something about so many of them that is winsome and they're really suffering. The Russians are suffering. They've suffered for centuries. One of the reasons that Russians write such beautiful, passionate music with incredible pathos is because like the black community, they've suffered so much. They have a bloody history, uh, and they're suffering now uh, because of the decisions of Putin and because of Ukraine and all of that. So uh, we need to pray for them. Um, pray for them. And this is to give you some insight. So Kim says, we have a young man and his family that are members of our small Southern Baptist church in Oklahoma. That was the regional director of missions in Moscow via the SBC. They were called out of the country when the war escalated, leaving most everything behind. They've been reassigned to another country, but this young man still works with the churches in Russia with a continuing online community. As I heard your show on Friday, where you have interviewed a man from Hungary that works with immigration issues, the question was asked what the Russian people think of the war. I asked that question. And uh, she said, our young former missionary sent these statements. And this is the first one. Now, like no other time, church leaders in Russia need prayer, wisdom, and strength. With the announcement of the draft, there is much fear and panic in the nation. Many are fleeing the country to avoid participating in this unjust war. And then, he says, I was talking to a Russian brother earlier this week. He said what's happening is finally setting in on the people. They are, are beginning to look for answers and are very open to the gospel. It's a terrible time to live in Russia, but it's a great time to evangelize in Russia. 
pray for Christians to continue in faithful gospel proclamation, the conversion of many sinners, and revival to sweep across Russia. And Kim, thanks for sharing that. Just I love hearing what's happening there, and it it informs us how to pray, and it reminds me, as I hope it reminds all of you, uh, that this is a spiritual battle and that God's people are going to be tossed to and fro in all of this, uh, whether we live here in the United States or whether we live in Russia or whether the, the, the Christians in Ukraine, of which there are many, uh, we, are, we are being washed about by all of this uh, terror, as are our neighbors. The difference is that we have hope. We have eternal hope, and we know the God of all truth, so we have strength that they lack. And so it is the time to evangelize uh, here and over there, too. Which takes me to my next, um, I, I, I'm going to make a little bit of announcement here. Um, uh, blah, blah, blah. You know, for years I've been on the air with you talking and enjoying it very much. And I, you know I was in D.C. for many, many years. But what I haven't told you, because I just didn't want to go into it, was that uh, some time ago Bruce and I moved to Florida. So I'm not in Washington, D.C. anymore. Uh, and so... I still go there. I do business. I'm connected in every way. You know, you and how it goes uh, with uh, with uh, this technology. That's the good thing about technology. We can do that. And so I wanted to tell you that before I tell you this next story. Um, thank goodness we're in Florida, by the way. You know, so I wish all of you were in Florida. Many of you are coming to Florida. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to be in a free state. And maybe I'll talk more about it uh, now that I've told you that we live here. So uh, with that in mind, uh, last week, the reason I was gone on Thursday and Christian filled in was because I was scheduled to go to Kansas uh, to speak uh, for the Cowley County Kansas Republican Dinner. And we, um, yeah, so, you know, when I, because I wear two hats, you know, I'm the Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association, and and I also do this show, but sometimes I have to be gone. It's hard for me to keep maintaining the morning show every day when I, I'm doing these other things. And so that was one of those other things. But, of course, you know, because I'm in Florida, there was a hurricane. So we packed. We had everything ready. Uh, writing, writing the speech. You know, it takes—that's um, a big deal to me, write a speech. I always—I never deliver the same speech. I do a fresh speech. I pray about who's going to be there, and I pray about God, the message. And, of course, I feel it needs to be timely, so every speech is different because the things, they change all the time. So we worked on that, and uh, Bruce was coming with me and was going to speak about the the, the FBI portion. And so uh, Tuesday, the airport was closed. So then we're like, we don't know what to expect. And so they rescheduled us for Thursday morning. And then so Wednesday, we still thought there was a possibility we might go. We even talked about driving, but that's just a, kind of a long trip. <laughs> and because I have to do, because I'm responsible to you every morning, that makes it very hard. So uh, so we kept, we waited, and Wednesday afternoon thought, well, we heard that the re- airport then was going to be closed on Thursday. So then Wednesday, um, the Steve Abrams, who had invited me to come, said, why don't you do it by Zoom? So then Thursday was spent, you know, rewriting the whole thing because uh, when you speak by Zoom, you have to put everything on the screen and you have to, it's very different. So uh, we did all of that and my bags were packed, <laughs> everything, I, you know, and I'm a girl. It takes a long time to pack. So 
Um, anyway, we did not get to be there with them, but we were there by Zoom. And of course, for me, for me with Zoom, I can't see them. And the few times I can see them, they're very small, and I can't hear them either. So it's a real exercise in... Um, it's like doing talk radio by yourself in a studio, which I should know about, but it's even different because when you do a speech, you're used to feedback, you're used to seeing faces. Some of you can certainly relate to that, but nevertheless, we we really enjoyed it, and we hoped that they enjoyed it, but we really didn't know. So I got this lovely email from Glenn. All that to say, I loved your presentation in Cali County, Kansas Republican Dinner tonight. Very excellent. Um she, he says, I actually believe things are worse than you said, but you gave us a whole lot of truth. Then he said, I was there on January the 6th, but stayed a great distance from the Capitol. A, late, I, a year later, I learned that the FBI informants removed the fences that showed restricted areas. So when we were there, we had no idea that we could have, have been in a restricted area. Um, then he goes on to say some other things, and I appreciate your information about the other things, Glenn. Also very interesting to know that you were there. You're one of the many listeners in the audience who were there and some who've gotten in trouble. Um, I think I said, did I read this, that you were visited by the FBI earlier this year, but they they said they didn't expect to come back. It'd be interesting to know how they knew to, to visit you. How did they find out you were there if you didn't go in the Capitol? Did you ask them that? It would be interesting to know. But thanks for your encouragement <laughs> about the speech last Thursday. And this is from one other, David, David and Crystal. Um, they were also there, and they were very complimentary. She she said, so she's telling me because I couldn't see, people were clapping and laughing and truly enjoyed what you had to say, except for the doom and gloom aspect. I had to include the doom and gloom, you know, because that's what I do every morning because it's the truth. Um, and so uh, that's very, very kind of you and all the kind words about Bruce and his presentation. So thank you for doing that. And I was nice to have feedback to, from Cowley County, Kansas. All right, so um, now I want to get to some other things here. This is from another listener, and this is so important that I, I may have to return to this. But one story I did not get a chance to tell you yesterday. This just absolutely made me sick at my stomach. Former National Guardsman uh, in Maine, his name is National Guard Specialist Matthew Bouchard, uh, was getting ready to get out. He was uh, going to be out in two months. And he had asked for a religious exemption from the COVID vaccination, uh, but he was refused. And then he was ordered again. And then in November, he was ordered to get the flu shot, even though he was going to be out of the military in two months. And so he complied. He said he would do that. He goes to get in line to take the flu shot. And basically, without reading all the details of this, whoever was giving the shot and however the lines were, were uh, implemented, whatever the organizational parts of this were, Oh, they said to him and others, oh, come over in this line. They were giving the COVID shot in one line and the flu shot in the other line. And they they enticed them to go into the other line saying, oh, it won't be a big deal. There's this line shorter and we'll do this. And it turns out that Bouchard, after asking for a religious exemption so he would not have to get the shot, was given the COVID shot rather than the flu shot without his knowledge and without his permission. I am... Um, I'm sick about that, and uh, maybe we, we can revisit that, but I want you to know that's that's the horrible, horrible thing that the National Guard did to this man and others, too. He's just the one speaking out. And that then brings me to an email from, I hope it's okay to give your first name, Neil. 
uh, he's giving me some insight into what's happening. He said, um, I don't believe it's a mere coincidence that every commander uses the same verbiage. And he's talking now about the religious exemption forms, which he sent me. Um, and he said they all use the same verbiage when they, when they reject you, your denials. And uh, he said most of the discharges I've seen for the COVID-19 vaccine has been classified as general under honorable conditions, which prevents these service members from receiving their education benefits through the GI Bill. So in an era of demands for student loan forgiveness and executive action, the education benefits for these veterans, the ones they earned, have been robbed from them, and many have been on combat tours. Fox, then, has an interesting article, and interestingly enough, Neil, I had read that, and again, I just didn't get to it yesterday, but... I will commend this article to all of you. It's called Army Penalizing Soldiers Seeking Religious Accommodation to Vax Mandate, Technique of Coercion. The U.S. Army is subjecting unvaccinated soldiers to punishments, including prohibiting off-base travel, halting promotions, and enforcing involuntary terminations from the service, which active duty service members claim is a strategy to pressure them to abandon their deeply held religious beliefs. An Army spokesperson confirmed that unvaccinated soldiers, including those without an approved religious accommodation exemption, are subject to certain adverse administrative actions. There's more to say about that, and I do think we will revisit it. But I am just, I am sick to my stomach. And certainly you all must be too, that they would do this to our men, our boys, our sons, and our girls who volunteered to serve their country to keep their country safe, who actually love this country enough to do that, unlike some who are too selfish to even consider it, and that they would be subjected to this treatment. It is draconian. I know that, um, as I understand it, the Secretary of Defense is uh, being called up by members of Congress. I think, I, I don't know if I have that. I'll have to look for that for the next time we talk about this, uh, for this kind of dereliction of duty. Enforcing this is just horrendous. And that's why this election, as though there weren't other reasons is so important so be be smart be wise be, be sure to go to voterguide.com to to help you decide who to vote for all right this is sandy rios in the morning on afr talk the views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the american family association or american family radio